0: was bright side of the sun by basin and range check them out at basin and dot com i believe or maybe it's bandcamp whatever basin and range google them you'll find them they're out there they're great uh you'll recognize of course that that's the uh the song i Excerpted The intro music from but every once in a while I like to play the whole thing because it's so luscious, isn't it? It's just juicy and luscious and liquid and gurgling and it, it feels very organic to me. And I, I pulled out the part that's feels sort of Tibetan or Himalayan exotic distant spice trail vibe. At least that's what I get from it. Um. But the rest of the song is well worth listening to. And I thought it was appropriate for today's guest, Reed Mahalko, who is himself sort of a an organic <laughs> I mean, we're all organic, of course, but Reed is um particularly juicy character. He's a sex educator. He's been on the podcast before, I think once, maybe twice. Um you have to check the the uh, archives, but He's certainly a friend of the podcast, a friend of mine, a really good guy, doing excellent work um, in a somewhat hostile environment. Imagine being a sex educator in America. Well, he does live in the Bay Area, so that's a, a little bubble of, uh, of uh, allied territory for him there. But in general, it's um, you know he's trying to bring sexual common sense to a society sorely lacking in it. So... Uh, he's doing important work, and you'll hear him talk about that, and and you'll hear us uh, debate some of the things that uh, come up in these sorts of conversations. Um, you know, how important is language policing in changing culture? Is it, you know, as I maintain, largely a distraction from the real work, or is it uh, an integral part of the real work? Um, I think we have slightly different views on that, and but i have to say that uh i'm i'm um, persuaded by reed he's a wonderful guy very generous soul and um certainly somebody i'm happy to have on the podcast as much as possible hope you agree um thank you to all of you for your kind um and often quite touching emails i've been getting in the last few days uh a common theme in some of them is uh, sympathy for me in my um, ongoing uh, emotional freak out over Bennett's death, which is enigmatic for me because um, it's not really the way it felt to me. I, and I'm referring to the uh, the last two episodes, which were or, or two part episode, which was uh responding to readers emails and i sort of went off on uh, you know some of the what i felt to be kind of silliness and thoughtlessness and and the the lack of um uh awareness of of or or, or of thinking about what's on the other side of a correspondence and anyway uh you know, from within this moment, it doesn't feel to me like my response was um, out of proportion or strange or or particularly grief stricken or whatever. But enough people have written to me to say, hey, man, I know what you're going through and, you know, it's cool. It's going to be all right. I understand, you know, this thing with Bennett's really got you. I can hear it in your voice and maybe it is. I don't know. One thing I've learned uh, in my years is that, you know, we rarely know where we are. Uh, a lot of life is retrospective, and all the time I uh, look back a week, a day, a month, a year, and I say, what the fuck was I thinking? It's a mystery to me. You know, what? what is it that I, where was I in my head that I thought that was the right thing to say or do or... Um, that that was the right move to make, and that never goes away. That um, that mystery, that inability to see the present clearly. Um, maybe the only thing that we gain is a knowledge that, of our blindness. You know, we never we never lose the the blind spots. We just learn to remember they're there, even though by definition you can't see them. I was thinking about this recently, and, you know, I know it's a common theme recently has been change of perception as we age and stuff. But I was thinking how when you're young, a lot of times you think you think that as you get older, you're going to find the answers to some of these really profound questions that you ask with such passion when you're young, as I did. And as I think we all do. And. I think that what happens is that you don't find the answers to those questions. What you find is that there are no answers and you learn to live with that. I almost said you learn to stop asking, but maybe you don't. Maybe you keep asking, but you just don't expect to find an answer. So maybe that's that's what's going on in the Buddhist cones when they say, you know, I want you to uh, meditate on uh, what is the sound of one hand clapping, right? These cones are unanswerable questions and they want you to meditate on them because I think what the lesson is, is learning to live with the question, albeit knowing there is no answer. Because if you stop asking the question, then you've given up. But if you still think you're going to find an answer, then you're still in that unbalanced state that Buddhism is trying to teach you to find your way out of. And so I think that's the lesson that I've learned as I've gotten older, is that no, there are no answers to these these most profound questions. Um, But that doesn't mean you can stop asking them. So I guess, you know, it all cycles around. It's like a a quote I've I've used on this podcast many times before. Admire those who seek the truth, but flee from those who claim to have found it. Right. You don't want to find it. If you find it, it probably means you're delusional. You're lying to yourself. You're making a big mistake because there may not. Maybe it's the nature of these very profound questions that they're unanswerable to us. Like Carl Sagan said, you know, by nature, the brain can never understand the complexities of the brain. A, a system can never be so complex that it can understand its own complexities because then it's too complex to understand. You know, it, it it's a snake eating its tail kind of thing. Um, another quote I remember from back in my Buddhist studies days was um, uh, wisdom is the joyful participation in the sorrows of the world. So that's the balance, right? Uh, Trying to find the joy in the sorrows um, and trying to uh, participate not to withdraw, not to stop asking, but to participate in the sorrows of the world and to find a little bit of joy in it. I received a a beautiful email from uh, Bennett's mother just two days after he died, actually. Um, I guess I can share it with you, at least I won't read it, but the gist of it. She said that she had withdrawn um from all social media. she wasn't answering emails and Facebook and all that kind of stuff um, obviously you know she was going through so much, but she said that she had listened to the podcast and uh that it gave her comfort yeah i don't I don't know how you do that um, but she did and It helped her. Okay, enough of the sorrows. Let's get back to the joys. Um, Because Reed is a sexy guy, I thought I would play a song that uh, came to my mind when I thought, what would be a sexy song to play? Of course, there are the classic, you know, I wasn't going to go Barry White on you. Um, And also, I try to play... Uh, music that you haven't heard before. So that's why I don't play classic Stones or, you know, uh, you know, the Doors or whatever. Um, I listen to that stuff. I love it, especially Exile on Main Street. Come on. Uh, I would play that stuff a lot if if I weren't trying to introduce you to new stuff. But this is something I don't think you've heard. It's by a Brazilian percussionist whose name is Minu Chinelo. Um let me see if i have that spelling for you m i n o and his last name is c i n e l u no idea if i'm pronouncing his name right um but this is from a solo track i think he played percussion for staying or somebody he he played in some somebody's famous someone famous as band um and this is his solo record. And he is Brazilian, but he sings in French and English and Portuguese. And it's all very kind of groovy, um, Roxy music ish, you know, from the Avalon days, if you're familiar with that. If you're not familiar, check out that record. It's a classic uh, Roxy music Avalon. That's got, a, I mean, the whole thing is just groovy, sexy, you know, candlelight drink wine, make love kind of music. Um, But anyway, this is called Soon I Will Be Home. It's by Minu Cinelu, And the guest this week is Reed Mahalko. Uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast. We had a lot of laughs. I really enjoyed it. And um, I appreciate all your feedback and your support, of course, through Amazon, fund what you love, Patreon, PayPal, whatever, however. Take it easy. Thank mm-hmm. you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sitting at Reed Mahalco's kitchen table. You were gonna tell me
1: a story about your
0: ass? (laughs) No,
1: let's not start with that one. Let's. I just said remind
0: me. That's true. You have to work your way in gently. Some of this this audience doesn't know who I am. (laughs)
1: Tell, tell them, Chris. This is your podcast. I am sitting here and why, why I'm here. I'm
0: sitting here with Reed Mahalko's ass. Uh, no, I'm having like my fifth cup of coffee. Regis whipped up some uh, frothy bulletproof coffee and I, I said no, but then when I saw the froth and the the
1: Irish they butter the, going they, in. They, as, as Asprey says, the delicious buttery aroma. Ah,
0: it's like delicious. Yak Sampa in, from the mountains of Tibet. Yeah, delicious yeah. grass-fed butter. So I said, I'll have some of that coffee, but if I shit myself, it's your fault. Yep. Yeah. And then you said, make sure I tell you the story about pouring acid yep, on yep. my ass or no, something? What was it? Acid.
1: I, well, okay, so we've established, now Now it's the teasing. We've established that we have to come back to this. Okay, we'll come and back. We'll leave it all right, um, so we'll you don't back. lose all your listeners immediately. Hey, they like this stuff. Are you kidding? <laughs> that's why they're here.
0: Right, people? Uh, tweet Reed and tell them, yes, that's why I'm here. Uh, anyway, so Reed was on the podcast, I think, just once before, or was yeah. it twice?
1: No, it was way, way back in in, uh, in L.A. In L.A. You were staying like in Hollywood, or, or something. Their third ap- episode. You, I think you might oh, have just is that early. Yeah, I think you might have just interviewed uh, Neil Strauss. Right, he was the um, first episode. That and, went out. and his his new book, The Truth, just came out. That's right. And uh, and I'm featured in that book. You are. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I was
0: going to be, but he cut me in the editing really? process. Uh, he he told me at one point he said, "Oh, remind me, I'll I'll send you the sections that you were in that I had mm-hmm. to cut out." But he said it in that very neutral Neil Strauss way where I don't know if I want to see that those sections or I'm happy not to see them, you know? Yeah. Because you, you got...
1: His description of you was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> the mild stroke, <laughs> mild stroke, which, which is true. <laughs> well, I've never thought well, no, that. I've was never true. had. A, I've never had a stroke that I know of. Uh, but and, you, and you're not asymmetrical. I. But if you if you actually watch me talk, right. I do talk out of the left side of my mouth. I do that too. Because. Yeah. I'm completely deaf in my right ear. Oh really? Um, That's since, interesting. Like, I guess since birth, but we figured it out when we did the kindergarten testing. You know where they put the headset on you right. and they put you in the booth and they're like, "Right, yeah, I remember and you that." Raise your hand. I passed. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, you failed on one my side. My right hand never went up because it was. Compl- I'm completely deaf. That's interesting. So we, so the reason I think, and I'm, I'm not a doctor or a physiologist, nor do I play one on the interwebs. Um, But the reason I talk out of the left side of my mouth is I'm always craning my ear towards people and kind of talking Uh, towards them out of the side of my mouth. Well, maybe you hear yourself better, too, when you talk that way. Well, yeah, and I'm also always looking at people's faces. And um, what some people think, like my goodness, Reed, you give amazing presents, and I'm like, I'm just trying to read your lips uh-huh. because it's fucking noisy in this bar. Uh-huh. Um, so again, it you know, what, it makes people think I'm amazing, but I'm I'm slightly handicapped, and well, amazing no stress, or or a stroke victim. It like Depends I, on the. Gary Busey had a stroke, basically.
0: That's funny. Yeah. Well, I I also have. Um, Uh, I think the musculature on the right side of my face is more active or stronger or something. But I think it's because I had um, um, severe concussions in the left side of my brain uh, when I was like uh, 10 or 11 or something. Oh wow. Skateboarding accident. Oh wow. Yeah, and one of my pupils is always a little bigger than the other. I don't know if you can see it in this light, but in certain mm-hmm. lights it's like a significant difference wow. or was, when I'm tripping.
1: I just I was going to say I just need <laughs> to beat me to the punch now. <laughs> I was, I was like so I just thought you were high. <laughs> yeah, on on one side That's, of your brain. It's, it's like only, a dolphin. I can trip on half of my brain. It's the only <laughs> way I can hang out with Reed Mahalco. <laughs> sex educator.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you are a sex geek. I still have your sex geek shirt, which yep. I wear occasionally, and I have another shirt that you gave me way back in the day that says this is
1: what a feminist werewolf looks like yep that was from and my partner allison right uh first couple of books she wrote a lesbian werewolf series of novels um and you know lesbian <laughs> and she just came out with uh, girl sex 101 mm-hmm. which is her latest book it's a sex education book that also has um kind of like a, a Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, like narrative mm. going in between the chapters, mm. and um, I guess Volvo maintenance in this in this instance, um, which is more appropriate for yeah, Zen I guess or, or Volvo, Volvo, Volvo. It's I, not I, Volvo. Yeah, but <laughs> Volvo. Um, they're boxy, but good. Um, <laughs> if people can remember that reference, um, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, It's so fun to talk to you because we can just (laughs) goof off and it seems cogent,
0: at least to us. Cogent. It's cogent. And it's called Tangentially
1: Speaking, so there's no pressure. It doesn't really matter. We don't need to follow any path here. But uh, So Ali's book just came out and it's uh, super awesome. It's mostly for, for women who are curious about sleeping with women. Um, however, they identify whether it's trans women or what. And let's face it, they're all curious. They're, we're all bless curious. their hearts. So, for 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 the dudes out there, the penis owners out there who want to, it's a great book. Is that the new term, penis owners? Yeah. Well, okay. So we're going to geek out on a lot of stuff. So, so <laughs> yeah, as but, as you might have known, <laughs> right? Um, gender has been deconstructed. Oh, bless their hearts. Yes. Well, but this is yeah. interesting for me as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Like, have you have you interviewed Buck Angel yet? No. Okay, so uh, Buck Angel, um, a uh, uh, F to M trans person who does porn and also inspirational um, speaking. Right. And Buck Angel was one of the first... And has this picture over your toilet, oh, I noticed. Over my or, toilet, or yes. That's, that's how much I we don't, love Buck I don't here. Know um, but basically, he's, he's a man with a pussy. He, okay. Um, and he, he used to be a Ford model back before he transitioned. Um, and has this, you know, amazing story of, of figuring out that they were trans and, and then getting into porn and just awesome, uh, dude. What's interesting nowadays with Caitlyn Jenner, um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the other trans people and trans people of color, um, who are out there, Laverne Cox, now I'm getting nervous that I'm going to screw up names. um, Yeah, she's, um... Black is, Orange is
0: the New Black. Orange is the New Black. Yeah. She's also friends with someone that I interviewed. Some, some sex worker or an author who, yeah, sorry,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm... Well, what's interesting about this is, those answer. are really pop, are popular culture examples of, of the trans situation. Mm. We don't have a lot of great examples of people who identify as gender fluid, Right. And, you know, the, the Crib Notes version of this is that gender is really a presentation situation, and the gender that you're assigned at birth doesn't natu- necessarily match everyone's right. experience of who they are as a person. And it's not a polar, it's not digital, it's analog.
0: No, There's exactly. all sorts of stuff in the middle. You know, yeah. and
1: then, And then for <coughs> people who really geek out about these things and deconstruct things about culture and then reassemble them, as an act of reclamation, creating and claiming one's own identity is a really powerful situation, especially in a culture that you know is has like two settings. Right. Um, and so, for me as a geek, the reason I'm using penis owners is I also have the the because I'm just the poster child for white male privilege, Ivy League college education. I'm an extrovert. Mm. Um, at this point, people still think I'm good looking. Um, and. Present company excluded. I'm fully, fully abled with the exception of, of my ear, things like that. Um, and even though I myself identify as queer, you, unless you really sit down and talk to me or, or watch any of my videos about my sex capades, you would think I'm, I'm the straight white dude. Right. So I can walk through and move through the world in a way that a lot of other people can't, and I have a lot of privilege mm. um, that just automatically gets assigned to me. Um, hmm. The gender situation, the reason I use penis owners, also because I, I like to teach with a lot of humor, is I can say penis owners and people just think that's neat. Well, hey, re- you reach talking about men. And for the people in the room who are up to date on the conversations around gender, they're kind of tilting their head being like, okay, he didn't s- he's not saying men and women, he's saying penis owners and vulva owners, he must have got the memo. Which, in my rooms when I'm teaching, especially when I'm teaching at colleges and stuff like that, on sexual assault prevention right. and whatnot, I'm, I'm leaving people in the room feeling more included than excluded. Like me yeah. just saying on this podcast that I'm the poster child for right. white cis male privilege right, is helping some listeners be like, oh my God, Reed got the memo. Okay, but can I push back yeah. on this a little sure, bit? Sure,
0: First of all, I, I had a guest on not too long ago, wonderful uh, Bailey J. Mm-hmm. You know her? Trans, yep. male to female, still has a penis, has no intention of getting rid of her penis. Yep. So as a penis owner, now she falls out of this, you know, advanced, progressive, evolved dichotomy that we're setting up here, right? Because she's got a penis, but she's a woman. Yeah, but I don't think she falls out of out of the progressiveness part. Uh, I see. So you're including her as a penis, penis owner. owner, yeah. Okay. Now, okay. now
1: right. they might... I didn't um, get the memo. Yeah, they might or she might, right? Because I can't remember. She, um, she, she doesn't give a pronouns. shit, actually. That's, yes, and yeah. a lot of people do. Yeah. Right? Because um, I've gotten into the habit around pronoun use uh, of just using they yeah. for everybody. And then there are my, my you know, queer and, and, and gender-fluid folks who are like, no, could, could you not use they for me? Use he or she. Yeah. Um, or Z, or right. Zay. Um, the the big thing I think the big takeaway for everybody who's listening, regardless of, of yeah. if you got the memo or not, right, is understanding that times are changing, and they're actually changing in really good ways. It's just going to be confusing, and you'll feel uncomfortable until you kind of get the hang of it. And the best thing you can always do is just ask. Ask polite questions, knowing that that certain like it's not black people's responsibility to to educate white people when Google fucking exists, right? But if you don't know what you're looking for in Google, you can find the wrong information. Right. So if if somebody calls you out or calls you in about something, my policy is and my practice on a good day is to thank them for calling me out. Which is difficult in and of itself, regardless of how you identify or gender or race, right. because no one likes being called out uh, on on something that you you screwed up on. Um, is thank them for, for bringing it to your attention and ask them to tell you more, mm-hmm. or ask them where if they know of a of a of a place you could go to for more information. You know, it, it's, it's the idea of right. not, not the knee-jerk re- uh, reaction to saying, "Hey, I have I have lots of black friends," or "I have you know I know a trans person," yeah. or you know I'm not a rapist. It, it's the knee-jerk reaction of, of if you can rewire it to say, "Thank you so much for for bringing this to me," understanding. A lot of people don't have their words all the time to speak up. You know, I'm an extrovert. I can usually find my words, but I teach communication for a living, and right. I can't always speak up in the moment. But isn't there? It, and I know I'm going to come across as an asshole here, but I feel like I have to represent the
0: asshole sometimes. Yeah. Um, isn't there a passive-aggressive element in people demanding that you use specific pronouns that they've chosen, z or they or he or she or whatever it is, and you have to keep all that straight in your head? I mean, I feel like some people get offended when you call them by the wrong name. Yeah. I feel like, fuck those people. Names, who gives a shit what name it is? Your name's Steve. You and 9,000 other people in this town are named Steve. You could be called Seven. You could be called purple. It doesn't fucking matter. If your name is Dances with Wolves, okay, there's some significance. But it's some name your parents picked out of a book 30 years ago? Who gives a shit, man? Or out of the Bible, you're Joseph. Fuck off, Joseph.
1: Well, so so here's here's <laughs> Hey, here's, I'm just getting started. I know. This is this is where it's <laughs> going to be fun because all the hate mail goes to you, my friend. Yeah. I, <laughs> I
0: don't give a shit. <laughs> But so, so he's I'm an old fucking
1: privileged white man. Exactly. And I'm, and I'm going to
0: own it. But see, here's the so thing. get
1: off my lawn, you kids.
0: But here's the thing, you kids, are all like deconstructing gender, right? Yeah. But I'm still a fucking white man, even though I'm Irish. I'm not white. I'm Irish, oppressed by the fucking British, sold as slaves in the West Indies, yep. the niggers of the North and the rest of it, right? Uh, you know, you're blanching because I use the word "nigger." No, I, well, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> but, you know, I've got black friends and they said I could. <laughs> no, the thing is, this is something I get really impatient about in American culture. All this language policing. Oh, we have to say the N word. I'm sorry. I say the N word. You know exactly what I'm referring mm-hmm. to. It's about intention. I hang out with a lot of comedians, right? So there's a lot of animosity within the comedian community against people saying, you can't use that word. You can't make a joke about the Holocaust. You can't do this. You can't do that. Fuck all you people. That's why comedians exist, is to say the things that are offensive. And for you to understand that they're not saying it to promote the agenda of the Nazis or the racists. They're saying it to deflate... The, the sort of, you know, the natural inflation that happens when nobody pricks those balloons. Mm-hmm. And so I find this American, this, this intense focus on not offending anyone by not using the wrong pronoun and not saying, you have to say the N word and the C word and the F word and fuck all that. I, I, I find that so, that itself is oppressive. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to go with this, Chris? <laughs> Time to go to your ass story. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I mean, and that's one of the reasons I, w- I was excited about talking with you, because I know you're really in that
1: culture. You're a leader in the sort of, like, get this shit straight culture. Well, I, I want to be a good role model. I'm not perfect at it. I'm never going to be perfect at it. Um, I have a deep need, growing up as a child of an alcoholic... Um, trying to save my family, like I have a, I personally have a deep need to do a good job, right, right, and I also, you know, I was a comic book geek growing up. So if you really, if you really watch me, you're like, oh my god, like, his entire psychological makeup is basically based on Marvel comics. Um, <laughs> Hope the good guys. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the 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 um, you know lawful good is basically me. Uh-huh. Um, so the. The thing for me is, since I have all this privilege, and I'm I'm good at social media, and my career continues to move forward. I was just on Chelsea Handler's. Oh, Chelsea I saw that. Does. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, you know, like I'm continuing to move forward. Is there a way that I can use my privilege for good? Right. And if I if just because I'm a ge- I happen to be a geek, um, well, if I focus a little bit of that geekery. In these areas, what's really amazing in the social justice movement that I can copy and paste and bring into other areas mm. of sex education, of just you know you know sex education, celebrityness? Like I'm I'm getting you know just being in Neil Strauss's book, being on Chelsea Handler's show. Like I my, my career might be at a tipping point, mm. you know. Come interview me ten years from now, and we'll see how it went. See if you have time for me. But, (laughs) but again, like, what if I actually could come up with a pithy way of explaining privilege, Mm. so that some older, you know, white guy um, and some younger white, even just like like, so let's just say I, I change some some white dude's opinion about something so that he's like oh fuck the way that i'm telling these rape jokes is actually perpetuating rape culture and my son might fucking rape somebody unintentionally cuz he thinks when he goes I to college approve it. yeah sure that's but see you say that some white guy is that guy
0: jewish cuz that's white is that guy greek that's white Ooh. some people would say north africans are white well, so isn't white guy It's self-offensive? Ultimately, if you're on top
1: of the food chain... But a Jew isn't on top of the food chain. Irish aren't on top of the food chain. Well, so, Irish in America now, I'm going to say is on top of the food chain. Right. So... Close. But, so what I'm saying is, yeah, if you watch the the New York documentary by what's-his-name... Um, in uh, in iMovie. Oh, uh, Ken Burns. Oh, the Ken's burn no, effect. Yeah. The editing Puts effect. Puts me to sleep. Can't but, do it. Yeah, but basically, yeah. yeah, whenever it was in history, Irish were real close to the bottom of the total. I ball. thought you were going to say gangs in New York. I, yes, Scorsese. exactly. Scorsese. <laughs> but, the, but, but now,
0: not. Okay, but, so how's that so, reflect on reparations for Ta-Nehisi Coates? Well,
1: again, first off, I'm, that we've been talking about this it will eventually start to make me uncomfortable because this isn't my area of expertise uh, okay. and what what you don't need is another white guy <laughs> telling you about reparations right? well so, okay so, so the, well, question is, uh, the, the question white is white
0: guys for, would be paying them though hang on okay yeah
1: but I can't speak for the black experience I can't speak for the trans experience I can't speak for what it's like being a woman in America right now. Sure.
0: But then how does the conversation happen?
1: Well, what I would advocate for, for you, is go find somebody who is black. Go, go find somebody, you know, who is trans. You've already had somebody who's trans on the show. Sure. And talk about these issues as the, hey, you know, I'm the, the Irish white guy who's got a podcast who's kind of an asshole. What are three things I could do <laughs> Hold to, be, on here. to be less of an asshole? Well, you just self-identified as an asshole in the uh, beginning. But I was of the kidding.
0: I was kidding.
1: But, but the I but I so, was
0: standing up for the assholes. I, not saying i want one of them. Which is
1: important too. But again, in this day and age, when a cop pulls you over, mm. you're not worried that you're going to get shot. No doubt. Yeah. That's a huge fucking difference. Sure. You're not worried that you're going to get. Uh, trans-bashed because you're in the men's room.
0: Right. Yeah, but see, I'm not... I mean, even when I'm standing, you know, representing the assholes here, I'm not denying the validity of anyone's experience, right? Or or the validity of their critique of American culture. I do it constantly. People get tired of hearing me pissing on American culture. Mm -hmm. But I feel that there's an exclusionary... Uh, element of a strong exclusionary element to what's going on in a lot of college campuses now. Uh, uh, like hyperprotective mm-hmm. vibe, you know, the woman at Yale screaming at that guy because it's not like a home at Yale and the backlash, you know, people disinvited to come and speak because they have uh, an idea that someone somewhere sure. finds offensive. Um, you know and and maybe there's uh, there's a, an eternal dichotomy at work here where and you know and and you don't want to talk about reparations and that's fine i don't really either but it brings to mind this thing where like you know we're saying well okay now you're a white guy now it's different now you've got more privilege than your grandfather had Mm -hmm. right but that does reflect on these arguments about reparations because um there hasn't been as much progress as there should be certainly in terms of race relations but black people aren't slaves necessarily in the United States anymore. So you know that you can say well you're much better off than your grandfather was so why should the tax money be
1: spent for reparations for your generation? Well so, so, so and, and this is where you could go out and find people that are way more articulate and smart talking about systemic oppression right. than me well, that's what Bernie
0: Sanders was saying, right and that's become this was in the news this yeah. week because he's mm-hmm. like, "Look, we need to change institutions sure it's not about giving money to individuals. we need to change the yeah. educational system the tax and, system. and he was
1: saying you know police yeah. for, you know demilitarizing police forces right. making sure that the that the police forces um mirror for the most part the the communities they live in right. you know, that they're that they're based in um and I mean, I can only imagine what it was like because you and I are similar in age. Like what it re- what it was like when segregation was being dismantled, and how all that was shaking out. Yeah, I think we're in an in an interesting phase, where we're we're examining privilege, and how do we how do we acknowledge things about our culture, because, you know, we're one of the youngest cultures on the planet, mm. you know, and you're, you would be more the expert, you know, from an anthropological perspective on that thing, like America is right. still a young country, right? Right. Um, and, and me not having lived in, in Europe, like, I don't really know what racism's like over, you know, outside of the US, right? And, and as a white guy, I don't really know what it's like, really, mm. in America, because I'm on top of the food chain, right? Um, around privilege but where this all comes back to and this is where we'll bring it back around right and people be like wow like he must have he must be smart somehow Um, where this applies to sex education is because we're in a sex negative culture and we don't give people permission to ask for the sex that they want Mm. Um, and there's so much shame and blame um, and that we don't talk about sex and pleasure as, a, as also as an issue of classism, right? The person who's working three jobs, um, who doesn't feel safe going to a workshop that's filled with white people, right, isn't necessarily getting all all the benefits of this amazing movement of se- of sex positivism in the, in the country, right? Right. So also part of it for me is if my if my calling is really to help the most people I can, then what can I do to up my game to be more inclusive rather than uh, and, and design amazing content that people can actually implement immediately that doesn't shame them? Um, what can I do to create content and, and expand my reach so that I can help as many people as I can before I you know this mortal coil expires like that's a worthy game for me yeah definitely and it's not always easy and you're in the right place at the right time exactly yeah and and I have some fierce friends who do not like white extroverted cisgendered men right and those people you know hold me to account and have no problem because I ask them to you know, will you just keep an eye out for me? And if you see me fucking things up, fuck, you know, if you can, tell me. I, and then I'll, you know, as I rise up the ranks of whatever it is that my career is doing, hopefully I'm role modeling things that people can copy and paste. And then if they want reasons why I do them, some of my stuff is thoughtful. And th- those thoughts usually weren't my mine, I copy and pasted them from my friends who are way fucking smarter. So you're a
0: sex educator and you do a lot of presentations in universities and now you're spreading into TV and Mm -hmm. uh, other forms of media. And how many, how often
1: are you out on the road? Um, It's the last couple of years when I do my taxes and it's like what's my per diem for where I'm traveling. It averages out to about, I'm probably on the road two weeks every, out of every month. Wow. You know, like, some some weeks I'm gone three and then another three days, but it's kind of on average. At some point, I'm going to get tired of being on the road, but I love it. And for me, when I go to a town or college, like, I like talking to the people there because one of the challenges that can befall all of us, um, for those of us who are sex educators or sex-positive entrepreneurs or however you identify who are here in the East Bay... Like, there's this sex-positive bubble. Yeah, you forget what it's like out yeah, there. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and it's kinda like LA, San Francisco, yeah. you know, maybe Austin-ish, maybe Portland and Seattle, and then New York. Right. Like, those sides of the coast, like, I need to stay relevant and understand what's happened to somebody in friggin' Iowa. Somebody yeah. in n- New Orleans, even though that's, you know, that could be considered a city. Like, Like, so I like traveling. I did a bunch of college appearances uh, in the South, and you know, just talking to to college students there, talking to administration, you know, in Georgia and in um, uh, in Lynchburg, uh, Virginia, and stuff, and being like, "Wow, like this isn't the East Bay." Lynchburg, what a
0: fucked up name for a city. Hello, right? Um, it's like Matamoros. You know that? What's Matamoros. Matamoros means kill the Moors. Really? Yeah. That's a, is that a place in Spain? It's a place in Spain and Mexico. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah.
1: But like, yeah, like, hello, talk about, you know, uh, subtle being subtle, right? <laughs> yeah, really. So, so these kinds of things of like, you know, I'm coming onto a college campus. How can I role model things for, for you know, college-age youth to help them have healthier relationships and not be rapey. Right. So is that your... I mean, you've got different foci, I guess. Yeah. And
0: the, the, like, how to... Mm-hmm. I heard you talking on the phone earlier how to get
1: laid and be a gentleman or something. Yeah, how to be a gentleman and get laid is one of my college campus lectures. That's a, that's a great title, man. Great. And, and not every college campus can use that title because administration right. and legal is freaking out. Right. And right. they don't want to deal with... Um, or you know they, they're just you know covering their own butts too, um, you know about alumni or parents. You're getting a fucking tightrope
0: walker. I mean that you've got to be in some weird positions.
1: But I love it. Yeah,
0: oh, I'm sure right. it's it, in, it's it, excited. But you're in the cage with lions, man. Well,
1: yeah, yeah, like f- you, on both sides. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's like I mean you I mean yeah you and I know this. I don't know if I said it on your show, but like the the largest lesbian queer women's camp at burning man camp beaverton for wayward girls <laughs> <laughs> who says lesbians don't have a sense of humor <laughs> i founded that camp oh really yeah camp beaverton so like when because oh, a hilarious. friend of mine said hey you know uh, <laughs> a, a lesbian was like i can't find any lesbians on the playa will you build me the the mecca that they will come to and i'm like yeah i mean i can do that that's hilarious but then it was like it was nerve-wracking as hell because i'm like well obviously i'm not a lesbian yeah Um, and and I hope this goes well but like so so designing it and then handing it off Mm. to the beavers like that's one of my personally favorite accomplishments to date next to cuddle party and and some other things but like it it created a place that was safe for people who didn't have a safe place before right so where this applies to to sex and relationship education If you get the idea of how to be present with people, not have a knee-jerk reaction where you swing back at them, and you learn some basic skill sets around how to create quote-unquote safe space, air quotes, I'm air quoting. And and by safe space, I mean a place where it's it's safe for somebody to feel uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. where they're not for the most part actually in Danger, um, and hopefully aren't in a place where they're going to be traumatized. If you can create a safe space where it's safe to feel uncomfortable, the power of doing that, regardless of your gender, but especially as, as as men or people who identify as men, the power to do that for, if you're a man, for women, or for anybody, that ability is what I think we're moving into around what being a good human being is. You know, I think th- the
0: way you articulated that is really uh, spot on. A, s- a space where people feel, uh, what is it, safe being uncomfortable. S- yeah. But I think the, the thing I was arguing against earlier um, is that I feel, I feel like in a lot of cases That's not how it's understood. It's understood as a place where I need not feel uncomfortable.
1: Which, you and I talked a little bit about (coughs) this being an interesting phase of where we are in America. And I don't know enough about certain periods of American history to know if this is a cycle or not. Hmm. But this idea that people are outraged that you made them feel uncomfortable. Right, right? And from, from the perspective of systematic oppression and, and, and those of us who have certain kinds of privilege, we're outraged that you would call me out on this thing when I have right. black friends, right. which is really like, do you, have you lost the ability to, to be able to handle feeling uncomfortable? Right. Because if somebody's calling you out and you can be okay, you can feel on a good day, because again, like if you're hangry, Right? Like the, the hungry, um, whatever, halt. Uh, hungry, uh, angry, something tired. It's like when people are cranky, oh. they're, they're like, have you eaten? Do you need a nap? Right. Um, hand job? Hand job, yeah, I think that's what the H is for. Yeah. Um, but, the, but the situation of um, when you are somewhat well rested and have your spoons, you know, which is an analogy from f- for folks um, who struggle with depression and things like that. Mm. Um, if you have your resources on a good day, somebody calls you out, and you're like, "Oh, okay." Like, so what do we need to do? You know, like, how do we move forward? Right. Whereas on a day when you when you're having a bad day, you have no re- resources. Somebody calls you out, and you you fucking you're explode, triggered. right? Yeah. Do yeah. you ever study Aikido? Yeah.
0: I think Aikido yeah. is so applicable to things like this. You Absolutely, know? the sense of like being centered, and an attack just sort of passes through. And
1: Which is when you when you have when you can work on your emotional IQ, and you understand your own emotions, and understand when you're, you know, running out of spoons. Um, then when people come at you, you can actually you can you can welcome them. In a, in an Aikido kind of way, mm. and you have more control air quotes because it's not about dominating the situation, right. but, but you have more resources to be effective in whatever your intention is. Right. And if your intention is to do no harm, or if, you know, my my mantra is leave the campsite better than you found it. Right. Then then me getting angry and letting my anger overtake me in that situation isn't actually effective right right and this is where we've talked about back when I used to work as a bartender in New York and be bouncer like me escalating the situation never helps right so if I can stay grounded and be present I have so many more options in a situation yeah and that's power not power over right but power power, situation yeah but power inside of, of that container yeah so so I, I, like we're talking about a bunch of big concepts, but like this is all boils down to m- m- the place where I, you know, is my domain I guess or whatever or the area that I'm geekiest about is like how do we apply all this to fucking. I'm a slut and I'm awesome sexual if you're awesome I want in your pants so it's useful for me if if I don't know what gender you are to say hi my name is Reed I use I use he and him pronouns what pronouns do you like to use and then all of a sudden if I'm hitting on you that's way smarter now again I'm now making the analogy that this entire philosophical leave the campsite better than you found it is now some sort of me being clever so that I can get laid right maybe note to self if I'm going
0: to use an excerpt from this at yeah. the beginning that was it okay how does this all apply to
1: fucking <laughs> but, but, but again like right like so because now and now this entire podcast is about to go down the toilet which apparently <laughs> you listeners like um, but like now for me my reputation in certain communities is read safe mm. read has a lot of integrity so, if you want to sleep with them, it's green lights all the way up the avenue. So, I get laid a lot on recommendation now. Mm-hmm. People that I Word sleep with... Word of mouth. People that I sleep yeah. with send me their friends because yeah. I, I'm that guy now. And, and this is what I talk yeah. to in the college circuit, yeah. when I, especially when I talk to fraternities and to athletes. I'm like, listen, there's a good chance I'm having more sex than your entire fraternity. Right. And... Maybe that's an exaggeration, maybe not, right? But like, I'm having a lot of sex with a lot of different people, and no one's mad at me. Mm. Would that be useful for your fraternity? Right, that's great. And yeah, and, and then the other piece that's really interesting, and, and you might geek out on this, is for the men in these frats who've really tried to learn consent culture um, and and, you know, they're trying. They want to have sex in college and not be rapey. Um, what they're figuring out is they could do everything right, and a week later she could still accuse him of rape. Mm. And so now these men who who are smart enough to to be paying attention and try to like figure this out. Um, not how to be rapey, but how to do it right. Realize they're in a double bind situation, and when right. you put human beings in a double bind situation, <clears throat> it doesn't end well. Especially right. if they're if they're below the age of where their prefrontal cortex hasn't fully formed, and they have little to no impulse control, or it's not it's not fully formed, and they've got years of sexual frustration, and they're now drinking alcohol in ways they probably haven't, or right. doing drugs, right. And hookup culture, which is now happening on campus in a way that wasn't, right. you know, for, for guys our age, when we were in, in college or, or visiting college campuses, there's a there's a social situation that's happening that wasn't there before, mm. um, that's making consent very tricky. Yeah. So, so for me, as a geek, I'm like, well, fuck, like, if, if I'm coming into lecture and I only have 90 minutes to two hours with you, everything I know about psychology, about teaching, education, how do I change your behavior on Thursday and Friday night in two hours?
0: So the motivation is I'm going to show you how to get laid more, right? I'm not limiting you. I'm going to actually help you get what it is you want, but get there in a way that doesn't hurt anyone. Where
1: everybody wins, right? Right. Yeah. And then I have then me as an educator, I'm geeking out like, well, what what's the framework? Like, what am I teaching them? Because you know m- most most adults. In their 30s to, to, to 50s can't remember more than three things from a friggin' meeting they attended at work mm. in the area that they're an expert in right right so how am, what am i gonna how am i gonna teach somebody who's you know 17 to 22 23 to change their behavior on thursday so so this mm. is where i get really geeky and and excited and I have now I have the privilege of, you know, getting to talk to a lot of deans, right. the people who run this, the health services, the people who run security on campuses, and geeking out with them to try to create content that that they can continue anchoring for their students in ways that hopefully make positive hmm. change. Yeah, it,
0: it's, it's really hard what you're doing. And I, I said this thing about um, accumulated sexual frustration, because I think that's an underappreciated element in Western society. Mm-hmm. It's something I wish I'd written about more in Sex at Dawn, and maybe in the future I, mean, I
1: this will. This is your third book, Just <laughs> presents Blue <laughs> Balls.
0: <laughs> no, but seriously, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if it was like this for you, but uh, from, you know, maybe 14 to, or 13 to 15, 16, when I started having sexual relationships, those were really, really long years of feeling like the thing I want most in the world is completely inaccessible, and actually, even wanting it makes me ridiculous because I'm Mm -hmm. a, you know, pimply 13-year-old with braces, right? And I think that, you know, you look at the trajectory of men's lives as particularly in America, a very sex-negative culture, as you pointed out. And I think so many of them are about trying to address those years, the frustration of those years. Mm -hmm. Either it manifests as misogyny with a lot of, you know, these crazy guys killing hookers and, you know, or or like the guy, even like the anti-abortion movement. I think a lot of that's, you know, goddamn women, you know, think they control everything because there's this Incredible anger toward women from yep. those years, because they aren't thinking, you know, either because they're too young or whatever, not educated to to see that it's not the women who are withholding it from you. They're victims of it as well, and that's you know, big thing we tried to get across in Sex at Dawn that it's the culture oppressing all of us. Mm-hmm. Some of us it manifests in different ways, but yeah. you know, um, yeah. So. Uh, in others, it manifests, as in my case, as uh, intense interest in sexuality. You know, like, okay, what is going on here? Yeah. Why do I want this so much? What does it mean? How, how you know, how have other people dealt with this? And mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's your case as well. Like, first girlfriend I had, man, she came when I went down on her, but not from fucking, and I was like, that's so interesting. What's going yeah. on? So I had like. 15 different sex toys and, you know, I was reading books and doing experiments. What, what age were you? Uh, 15, 16.
1: Wow. Yeah, like, and that's, and again, like, like, your curiosity would not be the normal reaction Right. For some Yeah, for a lot of people think 15. there's
0: something wrong with my dick, or I'm not yeah. fucking right, or I don't. I mean, I was just. I never felt ego involved in it. It was just like, okay, what's. It, this is interesting, right? And she. Luckily, she was open minded enough that she was down with all of sure, the Sure,
1: she wasn't blaming you for not being able to make her come. No, make no. Cock no. And
0: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and you see that. I mean, there's so much shame. Thanks again, Freud. You fuck. (laughs) Do you know, when I was researching Sex at Dawn, I came across this thing. I think it was in a book called A Mind of Its Own, Mm -hmm. A Cultural History of the Penis. Great title, (laughs) (laughs) man. And uh, apparently in his memoirs, Freud wrote about his father, that Freud himself was a a compulsive masturbator. And his father said to him, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to cut off your penis. Well, that'll go well. well, thanks, Dad. <laughs> it changed Western culture,
1: you know oh, damn it. <laughs> that got, yeah well, yeah, and so so this is what's interesting right like so so culture's always having its way with us, so one, just to just to have to be able to keep that awareness in mind mm. while you're getting triggered about something right like that's a pretty high level of emotional awareness. And it's revolutionary. To have that, that's revolutionary. You are not your thoughts, you You are not your blood chemistry.
0: And my enemy is not necessarily, this is Martin Luther King, right? This is the brilliance of of nonviolent protest, Mm -hmm. is that the cop who's spraying that fire hose at me is not really the enemy. The enemy is the system that sets that cop up in opposition to me. And until we address the system, we're just wasting our time. We're, we're falling into the hands of the system because the system wants us to fight each other. Yeah. You know? And I see this in sexuality as well playing out. You know? The, these guys who are resentful of women and, you know, and all this stuff in hip-hop, you know, oh, she ain't nothing but a hoe and, you know, hoes ain't shit No, oh, made my point. It's mm-hmm. too short. I don't know if you ever listened to Too Short. But all, all this, like, misogyny is, like, that guy wasn't getting laid when he was young. Mm-hmm. You know? He didn't have money either, which is why he's talking about blame all the time and all this gold and his crystal it's all very sort of obvious
1: psychological compensation but and not but and we you wouldn't necessarily think it's out of the ordinary when you look at human beings being human for disenfranchised populations to you know who don't have a lot of wealth to be singing about wealth no, it's
0: not at all. It's completely predictable. But unfortunately, it's. I think it. That's the energy that allows the 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 whirlpool to keep spinning. Mm-hmm. That you know, and and you know, sure. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, um, a comedian, Jake Johansson, and we were talking about wealth, and he said, "I don't get, I don't get billionaires. Like if I were even on the road." to get, to, you know, in the direction of a billion dollars, I would take the next exit. Like, who keeps going, you know? It's, it's, and I think that's the same energy. It's like, I didn't
1: have it, I gotta have it. Yep. And, and you never get enough. Well, and, and, and there's been interesting conversations about philanthropy being, you know, somewhat dead mm. in, in this country. Um, yeah. you, know, you know, Bill Gates is certainly, you know, turning that around in certain ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean again like this isn't my area of expertise, but I hang out with people that it is, so these conversations are important to me because I'm always looking for what's the copy-pasteable thing, and what's the really smart you know, quote-unquote technology or ways of of working inside of systems of oppression that I can copy and paste into the sexuality field, mm. because sex negativism is a you know, is a cultural system of oppression in those ways, right? Yeah. That that we're still debating, like, remember how many years ago it was in the Senate where they, they had the all-male panel um, oh, right. talking um, about abortion yeah. and birth control? Yeah. Like, who who said, who didn't speak up and said, hey, did you notice you're all white guys? <laughs> yeah. And isn't this a little weird?
0: Yeah. Um, well, but the, then you'd have to look around the Senate. And say the same damn thing, right? Yeah. Or I mean, how so, many women are in the Senate.
1: So so these these ideas of I, I just I, I want to hope that what's happening is kind of like this death grip, death rattle, mm. where things are really gonna start to move forward a little bit faster. You know, like that we have gay yeah. marriage now, yeah. that's a step in the right direction. Right. right? Obviously the comedian jokes are obvious, it's like, well great, now everyone can be miserable, right? Right. right. But at the same time the we are moving into this place in our in our culture where there's more choice in the kind of relationships that you want the internet has helped in that you can find people that are into the same things you're into right you know we can talk about dating your species and, right. and all the geekery that i have around healthy relationships that you know it's it's depth and, and honesty and transparency not duration that is the hallmark or the metric of, of healthy relationships. Mm. So that if you realize in two months you shouldn't be together and you transition a relationship, that was a success. Mm-hmm. Rather than staying together for 20 years and being miserable. Yeah. Right? Um, like, so I think times are changing, and you know the old guard isn't going to let go of their power um, and I'm curious, you know, I don't know if you've been talking to any any brain sciencey geeks, for, you know, recently, but I am kind of feeling like I've started to turn into an old man because I have enough enough life experience to have opinions about the way things used to be, <laughs> but I'm also geeky <laughs> enough to realize I'm like, wow, I think this is kind of emotional thinking. Uh-huh. Like, and I don't even know if my memory is accurate anymore. And like, yeah. am, am, am I destined to, to have my thinking calcified by the very nature of how we are as human beings? Like, am I going to one day be like, get off my lawn, you kids, you know, like, or am I going to stay hip and relevant? I, I don't know. Well, I, I
0: think, I, I certainly think the sort of, you know, degeneration into the grumpy old man is not inevitable because I look at my own friends and really the coolest, funnest people I know in general are like 60 and over. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, and it's not that they've always been that. It's that the they're the people who grew up in that generation where they, you know, were Partying in the late 60s, they were politically active, they value intelligence and open-mindedness and good conversation, and they don't give a shit what people, you know, the, the straight mm-hmm. people think of them, and there's this sort of free spirit of that generation. Now, obviously, not everybody held on to it, yeah. but a lot of them did, and, um, you know, I've been lucky enough to be connected to to that world a lot, and uh, they're great, And but they're, you know, 60, 70, and over. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so yeah I, I don't whereas for me yeah. as as so I, I turned 48 this week um, which is interesting in and of itself right and I hang out with have a lot of friends have lovers who are in their early to, to late 20s right and so there's a kind of freewheeling party-ish kind of thing that that doesn't feel like it's just youth but it's the it's the dismantling of s- Cultural stuff, yeah, and then the reassembling of it as an act of—it of, feels of, like a of, second wave. Yeah, it's 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 an agency, yeah. and an act of reclamation, right? So so my my geeky friends who are genderqueer or kinky or they're just being themselves in a way that I'm just like, holy fuck! Like, how did you figure this out at 23? Mm. Because I wouldn't even like start scratching the surface until I was 30. Like, I remember yeah. 30, my 30th birthday being this pivotal thing. Yeah. And I wouldn't really start giving myself permission, you know, in, in drabs and, 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 and smidges until I was 32. So I'm, I look back and I'm like, gosh darn it, if I had, if I had been able to be where, where this person was is now at 24 when I was 24, holy crap.
0: Yeah, but see the thing is as you said, culture has its way with us, right? And I mean, I imagine uh, first wave feminists look at this now and 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 feel a little frustration probably because Even the suffragettes, I think they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I get my waves mixed up. I don't know which wave it is anymore. Well, I mean, we but, we
1: could have a whole conversation, but that's yeah. for somebody's expertise is that. Yeah. But,
0: yeah, I mean, but you it, know what I mean. like, yeah. Because, you know, our gay rights people, you know, mm-hmm. like the Andrew Sullivans and the Dan Savages who meet guys who are, you know, 20 years old and just like, yeah, I'm gay, so what? Like, it's no yeah. big deal, you know? Like, whoa, man, it used to be a really big deal. Yeah, I mean, and and
1: I, think, I think for us what was relevant growing up was you know, for, for my mom, she didn't want me dating Catholics, mm. even though she wasn't a staunch Lutheran. Right. Um, and then for my mom and dad and, 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 our generation interracial marriages, or even, um, uh, what do they call it when like you marry different religions? Is, is it interreligious, like whatever that is, right? Mixed, mixed marriages, mm. whether it was religion or a race, like that's becoming less of a thing now yeah still a thing in, in certain places and, be, and in certain families but like now gay is gay is okay right. in, in certain places doesn't mean you're not going to get gay bashed
0: yeah um, i had a guy call me a faggot the other day in a in a store that mm-hmm. was interesting a big gang banger looking dude just he was just walking behind i, I guess i was blocking the aisle or something mm-hmm. and uh and i didn't know he's behind me and i saw him and i'm oh, sorry and i moved over and he just went faggot <laughs> it was like <laughs> i felt i felt like all this, i was felt like laughing on one level but i also felt like yeah that's that's what it feels like yeah you know you get that shit all the time and you know i might get it once in five years or yeah. something you know
1: well and that's and again like these are the things that we don't that it's easy for us to forget yeah. Because right? we don't experience it a lot. Right. right? Like, so my, my trans friends, you know, being asked to leave a bathroom. Yeah. Things like that. Like, you know, I mean, it's...
0: So what, getting back to your, because one of the things I wanted to, to pick your brain about mm-hmm. is what it's, what's going on for people in their 20s or people who are at university now. I had a guy on the podcast a little while ago and... Uh, really cool guy he's traveling around the world hardcore traveler in fact he's like on some island in the southern philippines right now with hunter-gatherer people he's Mm -hmm. like way out really cool guy anyway We were talking about travel, and and I spent a lot of my life traveling, and for me, one of the big costs of travel was, like, I'm not going to hook up with women while I'm traveling, because it's just impossible. I'm in India, I'm in, you know, Nepal, just local women are completely off, you know, the table, and women who are traveling are with their boyfriends or whatever, and Mm -hmm. so I'm just, like removing myself from and you know as you know you know me well enough to know that's something I'm really interested in is mm-hmm. an important part of life so that was a big sacrifice for me to travel and I was sort of you know assuming that we had that in common <laughs> and he was like oh no now man I just like update my profile on Tinder to the next town I'm going to be in mm-hmm. and by the time I get there I've got four or five dates set up and they see my Instagram feed and so they're all like down already and it's like super easy
1: fuck technology my friend fuck
0: but there's got to be a downside to that too right there's an impersonality or whatever well
1: I mean if you were okay so so as somebody me, you know as somebody who identifies as a slut who likes uh, as one friend of mine calls it strange ass like I like sleeping with new people and getting to know new bodies who doesn't um, and, well there are people out there where it's like they it's not their thing it's not their their kink or their area yeah. of geekery do you think I mean, is it that there...
0: Is it that the... Because I think novelty, I feel like novelty is maybe a near universal. Even in in primates, non-human primates, novelty, you introduce a new male to a, a group of macaques and every female will fuck that male. Even if he's smaller and uglier and he's crippled, whatever it is, they're going to fuck that guy because he's new, right? Yeah. So I kind of feel like there's a... There's
1: it, a, there's novelty, but again, like, you know, culture's having its way with people. There right? it is, right. So, yeah. There's a lot of risk and so shame. So there's novelty that... Then there's there's also um, uh, I think we're back to feeling safe, right? Right. So, so one in, in the dating world and in the relationship world, one thing that I've run into a lot with people that I coach or people who come to my workshops is a lot of people are starving. So they're not getting connection and intimacy mm. or touch. I mean, right. cuddle party right. was was all about how to create more touch in your life and not have it have to be sexual. Right. Right. So, so our monkey needs air quotes again around touch, connection, um, sexual uh, expression or release, whatever mm. you want to call it. Um, and this is op- this is aside from uh, uh, what's his name's book on. Um, On DNA, like your your genes are having its way with you. Dawkins wrote a book about this. The Um, the selfish gene. Yeah, the selfish gene. Like like like. So so I'm 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 saying aside from your reptile brain is trying to get you to to (laughs) spread your DNA. Right. Just your monkey needs. Yeah. Um. So many people are starving, and they're basically going food shopping hungry. Yeah. Right. And and if you talk to a lot of women uh, or women-identified people about their experiences, basically the ones who do want to have sex or have a need to sleep next to somebody at night for a little while, um, will then it's it's a game of well, you know, this person this person will do, and hopefully they won't say the wrong thing where now I can't sleep with them or to have a little bit of companionship, I'm willing to have sex with somebody, yeah. even though it's kind of in the gray area for me, I'd rather just cuddle, but, you know, if I'm gonna have a, a warm body to sleep next to I, I better put out, because that's culture having its way with us, right? right? So, when you put people who are starving and basically going food shopping hungry, they're just gonna make bad decisions. So there's a lot yeah. of that going on. Yeah. Um, so, a lot of my work is about, like, how do we how do you get your needs met and make good decisions? And when you start doing that kind of work and looking at what your preferences are, there are people who are like, you know, for novelty, they're like, you know, the, I like new people and that's fun. But that that in uh, dopamine hit isn't the same as the depth of having a relationship. right? And so for some people it's a very palpable difference as to which feels more nutritious. Mm. And, and they want the, re- the relationship or the sex is so much better when it's with somebody they know and care about. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious about the quote-unquote wiring this is not a nature versus nurture conversation, but the wiring around novelty for people who are promiscuous and slutty in healthy ways. Mm. Cause the other thing that's happening is we don't really, we still don't have healthy models for promiscuity in, in this culture or in, uh, you know, I don't know all cultures on the planet, but you know, there's, you know, there's the Lotharios right. of, you know, that we talk about in Europe, right? The romancers and the ladies men and stuff like that. But like, we don't really have healthy role models for that of, yeah. of you know impeccability and integrity as being a slut.
0: The Mosuo are fantastic, at, and the in southern China, mm-hmm. um, but unfortunately, the culture is having its way with them because um, th- that's a culture where the. When a uh, uh, when a woman becomes mature, she's given her own room. It's called a flower room. And it Has its own entrance. Entrance under the street. Body. Yeah, exactly. So that's a really interesting culture because men and women are completely autonomous sexually. They have their right, and um, so when the woman becomes public, uh, public, when the woman becomes pregnant, she her, the child is cared for by her brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't need a man to provide and protect and yada yeah. yada yada, and. Um, and it's really interesting and depressing how vehemently the Chinese government has insisted on pushing conventional marriage on of them. Of course, and uh, and now e- even though they resisted it at the threat of starvation and mm-hmm. the, you know all this terrible stuff, uh, and now of course they're losing because the Chinese see the women as uh, loose. Yeah. So they, there are all these tour buses that go there, I'm like, oh, hey, we can go fuck these women. They don't care. They're they're oh. sluts. Completely misunderstanding what's happening. You yeah. know, it's like, you know, it's like people who, who who are generous. You you go and steal from them. You know, and that's, that's the history yeah. of the Western S- world. So
1: this this idea, of like, uh, um, the idea of people who like novelty and casual sex um and that feels nourishing to them in really healthy ways not not self esteem and right. other things uh you know they're feeding these 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 unhealthy needs um i'm i'm just curious and i don't know if anyone's studied it like just n- neurological differences or just you know how people who are slutty in healthy ways are might be different than people who who have maybe tried casual sex but like you know it it was great that I did that but I what I what's more nourishing to me is this kind of situation, right. Right? right? And and again, we can come up with other analogies to talk about it because there's not a lot of great nuanced conversation about sexuality in America but the idea of somebody who really loves eating at a different restaurant every night right. versus somebody who loves cooking at home.
0: Right. Well, and the thing is it's not an either-or situation. No, it's what feeds your soul. you've got a long-term relationship. Yeah, you know?
1: Allison and I mm. um, I think we're together eight years now. Right. And, you know, yeah. she's like I love her more than I loved her when I met her, which right. now I understand what that's like, right? Because I never really had that kind of experience.
0: You can have your cake and eat it too. Yeah,, yeah. and
1: it's a lot of work and there's lots of great sure ways to do it wrong. Um, so if people want to want to do th- this kind of version of, of having a cake and eating it too, Go to ReadAboutSex.com.
0: Yeah, you're um, going to get cake all over your face occasionally. Yeah. Well, I, the, the, For me the analogy is travel, mm-hmm. you know, um, because I love traveling, and but after a while I get tired and I want to go home. I want to have a home. I want to have a place where I feel safe and I know where things are. I know I'm always welcome there, you know, I'm recognized. Um, But then I like to go somewhere new and not be recognized and be completely out of place and and not know what's going to happen next and risk, you know, all things going wrong. And, you know, it's a lot like sex. Yeah, exactly. It's all it's all the same. But, you know, and I think people have this idea and and it's the trap that we get into where we say, well, you know, I guess I, I, I have to stay here. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to reject this person because I don't want to stay here. Or
1: you're not mature because you're traveling so much. Right. Right? Yeah. Again, like, what are
0: you running from,
1: Reed? Yeah. yeah. Jesus. And, and, and I think we're at a place in, in time now where the question is, what makes you happy? Right. Which isn't yeah. really a question that we were allowed to ask 100 years ago, 200 hmm. years ago. I would even
0: go beyond happy because I think happy is a problematic concept. I think, you know, what feels um, true, what what resonates with your Mm -hmm. being, because, you know, I think the pursuit of happiness is leads us astray sometimes Mm -hmm. because we confuse like you can't always be happy that, being happy is like being hungry you know it's it's a transitional sure uh, phase you know and i think in america like now grieving is in the fucking dsm-5 you know if you grieve more than three months th- then you're you've got a psychological illness yeah i think that's an, a manifestation of this well,
1: well that's pursuit also a of manifestation happiness. of of Western medicine yeah, like how we how we true. frame we look at it it's actually a really great book and next time you're in LA you might want to check out uh, see if you can interview Chris Donahue he mm. wrote a book that just came out called um, I want to say it's Sex Between the Lines yeah someone he's, someone told yeah, me about him he's got some great concepts huh. and and that the idea that, that most sexual dysfunction is an educational issue it's not an individual issue right um yeah. you know and and he's he's brilliant and he's a, he's a awesome dude um, but you guys could have some great brain sex cuz he's got some great
0: he's on tv right yeah, he's he got was, tattoos like, he's a sex, sex box yeah um, okay i've been in touch with him actually yeah, yeah. he's a good guy yeah. um
1: i like him a lot and i like his content a lot but you know these ideas of you know and I'll agree with you about the happiness piece, right? It's like what feels true to you because for me around dating and also just relationships, the whole idea of dating your species. Mm. And that it's not how long the relationship's last, it's, it's how real and how true were you to yeah. each other. Yeah. But it also says this piece around we culture has taught us to use attraction. Yeah in relationships, which which from culture's perspective means you're dressing the right way, you're saying the right things, you're being this, you're being that. Once you get, once you are worthy of a relationship, then you have to stay attractive Mm. to that person to keep them, right? And then Esther Perel has amazing content about, you know, just relationships in general, maybe in captivity being one of her books, one of my favorite books. The idea of what makes us feel secure is usually not what has us turned on right right so so the the dance of security versus eroticism right and and around attraction if you're trying to be what culture told you to you're not being yourself mm. unless you're just one of the lucky people who for happens to be your self-expression <laughs> is yeah. exactly this yeah yeah um so when you swap out attraction for self-expression this is where it comes into the being true to yourself, which mm. I think makes people, quote unquote, happier right. over a lifetime, right? It doesn't yeah. mean you don't have ups and downs, right. but the idea of being the person that makes you happiest is way more vulnerable because you might be rejected for actually who you are. Right. However, the people who like you, like you for you, mm. not who you were pretending to be as they were pretending to be somebody else. Right. And that's where I think we're kind of moving into this place. Not everybody in the country, obviously. Um, I mean, polyamory, non-monogamy, is more prevalent in, you know, in white uh, community, and, and and you know, and not so much in in, in disenfranchised communities because there's a classism issue around these kinds of things. Uh, I mean, it's it's very it's complex, but at the same time, like I think we have more choice, and it also does feed into the American dream of be yourself. Right, authenticity. You know, become true to yourself and you will be successful. Right. Um, But I think now, more than ever, no, really, like, go be yourself is where we're starting to get to. Like, if anybody was giving anybody a business advice these days, find a, a, a successful company work for them for 40 50 years, get the gold watch and retire. Everybody in America would be like, "You are a fucking moron." <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And 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 now the that's happening with relationships, you know? Right. Fall in love at 17. Right. Get married, spend the rest of your life with with that person. Right. Most people would be like, are you fucking shitting me? Right. And it's not necessarily that "quote unquote" marriage is broken. It's just that oh, you have more choice now. Yeah. And and you know, the the parents of my godchild met when they were in youth group. Hmm. They've only ever slept with each other. Yeah. And they're friggin' happy as clams. Like, so it again, like it it, it works out. I think I think for some people, I think the, the question is that you pause and be like is this working out? Right. Yes, let's continue. No, well, how much is it not working out? Can we can we get the wheels back in alignment? Or no, like we should we should part ways and be friends or co-parents or whatever. Like we yeah. have more choice now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I in Portland I've got a couple of friends whose kids are I mean f- 14, 15 mm-hmm. and uh, they're declaring themselves transgender. Mhm.
1: Uh, one of my best friends from college, twelve-year-old, just came out. Right. And so, you know, this person is now, you know, uh, male-identified. You know, he and him, uh, at pronouns. And and I was talking to them the other day, and I'm like, Oh my god! This was the sm- the smartest, most self-aware twelve-year-old right. I'd ever met. Right. And I'm just like, Holy crap! <laughs> and yeah. they're so much happier with themselves. Right now, you know, is it "quote unquote" a phase? I don't think so. Well, who cares? But yeah, that's it, the, the, the thing. F- the freedom
0: cares? to go through it, whatever it is. The courage yeah.
1: of Elliot to declare themselves to have chosen the name that they want. Hmm. Like that's a that's a courageous twelve-year-old right there. Yeah. And and I want to contribute to building a culture where everyone like that can win.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good place to end. But we didn't tell the ass story. Do you want to tell the we ass story? You have to because that You're I mean that was such a beautiful summation of God, who ruin you it with are. I'm going to the ass story. All right,
1: so real quick. Um <laughs> so just hold that 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 moment.
0: <laughs> well, maybe I can edit
1: it. I'll insert the ass story. <laughs> okay, well, this is possible. Um whatever whatever you decide. All I, I I buddy. All right, all right. Um or you can just have me on another time. I, you know, I've told
0: my own ass stories on this podcast. So here's the so big thing.
1: Okay, go um, ahead. So if for anybody who's ever drank bulletproof, uh, if you put too much coconut oil, uh, you get what, what Dave Asprey and Tim Ferriss called disaster pants. Leakage. It just you start to create explosive diuretic uh, di- diarrhea. Situations. Oh, it's not leakage. It's explosive. It's it can be. Welcome to Mexico. It can be. Yeah. Um, so I was on a college tour, um, ran out of butter. And conveniently forgot, because I was getting ready for my lecture, uh, that I shouldn't double my, my <laughs> coconut oil quantities. Oh, nice. Um, nice. So I double my coconut oil quantities. Um, the interesting factoid was the night before, I had enjoyed a delicious uh, omelet for dinner <laughs> with an extra <laughs> helping of jalapeno peppers. Jalapenos! So that nice. morning... <laughs> As I realized my, my fate, Uh um, not only did I have basically explosive diarrhea, um, I was pepper spraying my own asshole. Yeah, because the burn—you got the burn. I had the jalapenos all coming through. Yeah. Um, So, ladies and gentlemen, um, you weren't standing on stage when this happened. No, no, this was on the way too. So I had to keep pulling over to whatever restaurant was like another eighty feet away. and uh so just let this be a cautionary tale ladies and gentlemen yeah careful with the bulletproof coffee yeah you don't you don't want to mace your own butthole yeah i've done that many
0: times yeah. I, I like really spicy food and mm-hmm. i spent a lot of time in india and, and you know central america and stuff and yeah yeah but what are you gonna do you just got to write it out
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: And now I feel complete And I feel like we've served your audience <laughs>
0: Christopher.
1: Christopher Ryan There
0: you go, Dr. Ryan <laughs> Thank you Reed So uh, read about sex
1: R-E-I-D Yeah R-E-I-D about sex dot com um, And then for sex educators And sex positive entrepreneurs out there uh, Sexgeeksummercamp.com Is my business retreat For sex educators um, And they can go there and sign up for free videos And then figure out if they want to come to camp or not
0: I I was I did something what was I doing I Google I was trying to like talk into my phone or something to Mm -hmm. send you a text earlier and I said text read Mahalko," and it it said a text read me how to and I was like oh (laughs) that works
1: that works (laughs) thanks again for having me it's always a pleasure
0: yeah it was fun thanks yeah it was fun read me how to read Mahalko. M-I-H-A-L-K-O Uh, check him out, check out his website, check out his courses, check out all his teachings and his videos. He's all over the internet. You can find him order one of his sex geek t-shirts. If you'd like, I've got, uh, at least a few pairs myself. I wear around occasionally. Um, yeah, that was it. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, I need to record a new outro. Uh, Without Bennett on it And I haven't um, had the heart to do that yet So here I am And um, I'm just going to play you out As always with the acoustic version Of Smoke Alarm That the great Carsey Blanton Performed just for us Hope you're having a good week Bye
3: He said baby what's a big deal Feel what you want to feel Say what you want to say Headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest Baby, what's a big deal If you wanna be free Say what you wanna feel Spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground